Good morning, church. How are we doing? Last day of 2023. That's pretty exciting. I don't know if you guys feel this way or not, but these times of year, I have this mixed... Um, it, it just It's a weird thing that happens. On one hand, I feel like this year just flew by, right? I blinked and another year is gone. Well, at the same time, I feel like somebody kind of dragged me along through the year. I don't know. Do you have that at all? Yeah. So I know there's a lot that's gone on. Like, it's, it's been a filled year, good and bad. Um, but it is the end, and you have come to worship God and to learn and to grow, and, and so I'm going to do my best to honor that today. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Blake reached out and said, hey, uh, I'd really love it if you um, were willing to preach the last sermon of the year, um, and I'd love it if you could do something to the effect of um, finishing strong or finishing well. And I had just um, completed a couple uh, big youth events, and I was excited. We had um, kids serving and having fun, and, and it was great, the beginning of December. And then literally, I was driving up when he reached out to me to, do a, uh, to officiate a wedding of um, one of my favorite families in the entire world. About 10 years ago, we moved to Florida on the East Coast, and this family was, uh, the, the dad of the groom was the executive pastor. His wife was on staff as well, and they took us in. They took our family in immediately, and not just like them and their children. Um, one of the, the groom was one of my students, but their entire family took us in, and grandparents, aunts, uncles, even when we didn't want them to, they did, um, and, and so I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, finishing strong, finishing well, that's going to be easy. This December has been amazing. I get to do this wedding for this young man whom I have loved and cared for and walked alongside for the last nine years, and uh, I'm really excited to do this. And so we get up there. Um, I drove up a a day or two before uh, my family, and um, the the best ceremony you've ever seen on that day in that location at that time. It was amazing. And um, again, I'm thinking this is great, finishing the year off real strong. Well, about 10 minutes after that, the father of the groom comes up to me, pulls me aside, and uh, I thought, oh, he was going to like praise me or something for the best, best <laughs> ceremony ever. And, um, and I could tell that there's something different. Um, and he's sad. And he looks at me and he you know, whispers into my ear, uh, one, of, one of our old students, part of that same youth group on the East Coast, um, was just killed. Uh, he was in a motorcycle accident. And the father of the groom found out 20 minutes before the ceremony. And he didn't want to tell me beforehand. And he, we didn't end up telling the groom until you know, a few days later just because we didn't want to ruin everything. Um, but yeah, so... so I'm sitting here um, trying to celebrate and enjoy this ceremony, and it's, and it's a great time, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, another one has passed too young. He was 21 years old, 21. And um, so the next day, um, Casey and the boys, they had driven up separate, so they start driving home. This is about two, three hours north of here, and it's pouring out, and it's a big storm, and I decided I'm going to drive home um, in this storm. Cars 
making all kinds of noises and stuff. And again, I don't know if you've been here with God before, but um, I just start ugly crying. You know, just snot flying everywhere, yelling and screaming, angry, bitter, whatever. Um, trying to understand, like, God, why? Uh, if you know about me, um, or, or the last five or six years, um, I've become accustomed to loss. And that's a weird thing to say. It sounds, it sounds odd when to put it out there. Um, but five and a half years ago, I was actually interviewing at a church. I was leaving the hotel to go meet with the leadership team and got a phone call from one of my old worship pastors that his nephew, another student of mine, um, was killed by a train. Um, about a year and a half after that, uh, I found out that my mother, my biological mother, I was adopted, um, died of cancer. Um, I had a relationship with her and my father. Um, a year after that, my biological father died, natural causes. Um, I don't know what that means, but they were 55 and 59, so they were not, they were not old. Um, and then a year after that, the person that's the closest to me growing up in my life um, besides my wife, Casey, my sister, Christina, was killed by a car. Um, she was 42, 43, something like that. Um, and then this summer I had some loss, and now I'm dealing with this. And for a while, I went through this process of like, okay, well, is it me? Like, is it something that I'm doing? And is, They're all associated with me in this weird way, and, you know, you kind of become very self-focused in those moments where it's like, all right, the world revolves around you. And, and God's like, no, moron. Like, it's not about you in any way, shape, or form. Um, but he's, he's taught me about this, this process of mourning and loss and, and understanding life and death and, and how he works. Um, and so... I'm driving home thinking about all these different things and how he's brought me through and how he's processed these things. And, and I hear this voice as clear as anybody else's voice saying, it's not about you. It's about me. God was telling me to use it for his glory. To honor him. And so today I'm going to try and get through this. Um, instead of talking about finishing strong or finishing well, which I think we all need to do as we come to the end of this year and, and as you're going through life in general, I'm going to talk about finishing real. Because I think God is looking for people who are real. Right? There's plenty of junk out there in this world. There's plenty of people who have made mistakes. You read through scripture, you'll see person after person after person that was not perfect, that didn't have their lives together, that made mistake after mistake, that went through suffering, that went through hardships. But they were real with God, and God honored that. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for loving us, beyond our understanding. We thank you for life and for death, Lord, and the things that we learn through that, God. Be here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have any of you ever taken your eyes off of God? 
and looked around and, and thought, man, all the people around me have it so much better, right? Have you ever considered those unbelievers in your life and thought, why are they doing so well and I'm not? Have you asked God why he treats his children this way? Well, again, we're finishing off the year, and I know some of us have gone through a lot this year. Maybe we've suffered from one thing or another. Maybe we're sitting here today, and we're li- or you're listening online, and, and in your heart you've, you've been wanting to give up. Maybe, maybe you've already kind of given up in a lot of ways and, and begin to compare and contrast your life with those around you and wonder what is going on. But you're not alone. You're not alone. There's a guy um, in, in Psalms 73. He's a psalmist, Asaph. He wrote Psalm 73, a little bit about Asaph. He was a prominent Levite singer and seer in David's court, and he was the son of, I'm gonna, I love this word, Barakiah, Barakiah uh, of the tribe of Levi. His ancestors are actually written about, they, uh, the ancestor of the sons of Asaph, one of the great family guilds of temple musicians. And so Asaph is, is, um, has grown up in the temple. He's grown up in the, in, in the house of David, uh, in his courts, and he's seen a lot, I'm sure. He doesn't get into all the details about it. But this psalm addresses some of the same battles that you and I may face as we're finishing this year. And I want to encourage you that you're not alone. Instead of trying to finish the year off strong or finishing it well, it's time to finish it real. So Psalm 73, um, interesting thing, he starts off with the conclusion. He starts off with the punchline. And then he goes and explains how he came to that conclusion. and says this in verse 1. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Asaph has concluded that God is good especially to those who are pure in heart, especially to those who, who love God. Now, this term pure in heart, I think uh, for me, when I first read it, I was thinking, man, I have to be perfect. I have to uh, not have any blemishes. I have to be pure in every area of my life for this to count. And so maybe God's not going to bless me because I don't have it all together. But I think there's a different definition here. When we look at it, and, and I think it's this, it's defined as the sincerity in, in thoughts or our intent. A pure heart means being real, being honest about both our failings and our hopes. The truth is we all stumble from time to time. We question and wrestle with all that life brings. But when we are honest with ourselves and with God, especially with God, we become pure in heart. Asaph goes on, he says, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Has that ever happened? Have you ever looked at somebody around you that you know they're not living a good life, and you're like, man, but their life looks so good. They have no struggles. Their bodies are are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human illness. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. 
From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to both heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. People look at them and say, look, look at those lives. Like, they're living without any cares, without any concerns, and it seems like it's working out for them. Psalmist continues to describe uh, these, these non-believers and, and these people in almost a jealous manner. It seems like he's desiring what they have. He's being real and he's being vulnerable. Verse 10, Therefore their people turn to them and drink waters in abundance. That reminds me of kind of this social media culture that we live in right now, right? Where we click on our phones or on our tablets or, or, and we're like, wow, man, that person, they went on another trip. They got another car. They, man, how are they doing that? Their lives look perfect. I wish I could have that. He goes on, he says, this is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely, in vain, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. Look, they're, they're living their perfect life. They have everything figured out. They're not struggling with anything. And I'm over here trying to honor you, God. And I'm going through heartache and sickness. Come on, God. Why? Asap sounds done. He sounds like he's finished. He's frustrated with doing what's right and good with seemingly nothing to show for it. I know I've been there before. I know I've had those moments where I've taken my eyes off of God and I've said, look, I want to do that instead. That looks, that looks so much better. We have this comparison game. This person over here has everything that I've ever wanted, and it looks perfect. And then I'm over here struggling with every aspect of my life. This is why Asaph uh, comes to this conclusion in verse 13. He says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. doesn't make sense to him. But he doesn't end there, right? Isn't that a good thing? Verse 15, he begins to change his tune a little bit. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. He's saying, actually verbalizing this idea around me, telling people who believe in God, telling those that are so close to me, if I did that, if I shared that with them, that would have been a big mistake. If I went around and said, hey, you know what, that's a better way to live, that would have been a big mistake. He's, he's recognizing that there's something going on. And how do you get there? Verse 16, when I tried to understand all of this, he's talking about understanding the people who, who seem to not suffer or go through anything. He's trying to figure out why. It troubled me deeply, he says. He couldn't figure it out. I've been there as well. I spend countless hours trying to figure out why 
it looks so much better over there. Why I'm going through these different things. And honestly, you'll drive yourself mad. You will go crazy trying to figure out these things on your own. It's, it's almost like this oppression or this suffocation that you're applying to yourself. Feel, the feeling of no understanding, no escaping. You can't catch your breath. It's overwhelming. It's frustrating. Verse 17 says, Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. There's only a couple words there, and I don't want you to miss it, because this is, this is where his heart changes. And this is where our heart needs to change, too. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. So simple. The minute you enter the sanctuary of God, you gain wisdom, you gain trust, you gain the ability to breathe again. You're no longer drowning in confusion and disgust. God has rescued you. You're not doing it on your own. You don't have to figure out how everything else works because God knows how it works. When you come to the feet of Jesus and you say, God, help me understand, and even don't help me understand, but just let me be in your presence, there's a freedom that you gain. Jumping down to verses 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. A brute beast. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Look, we're going to stumble. We're going to make mistakes. Uh, uh, My heart may fail. I may forget why I'm here from time to time. And you may not fully understand, but my God... God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. He's talking to God again. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as far as, as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. Asaph recognizes that, that God has taken care of Everything. Every need, every desire, every heartache, every ounce of pain and suffering that you've had to go through, he's walking alongside you. And in fact, there's moments when he's literally carrying you through it because he loves you so much. Personally, I sometimes have a hard time talking about the good and godly deeds that occur in my life. I think it's because I feel as though I'm somehow boasting in myself or, or people are just sick and tired of hearing it. I'm learning slowly to share these moments that God is putting in my life. To share those moments 
and those deeds that God is doing. Those amazing moments that happen, especially while I'm in the midst of a struggle in the dark times. God is so good when we are real. When we have a pure heart, when we seek him in the midst of our darkest moments and don't give in or give up. As I was going through this, um, my wife Casey, she was like, you know what, instead of finishing strong or finishing well, you should call it finishing real. And then she sent me this video here that we're going to watch in a second. I've shared a a handful of times with with a lot of you. um, There's this woman who's... uh, Um, a minister. She goes out and she's at conferences and uh, youth events and different things. Her name is Megan Fate Marshman. She's been an inspiration to many, many believers, including myself and my wife. And um, she's gone through a lot in her life. And a couple years ago, she lost her husband. Her husband died suddenly from a heart attack at the age of 36. Recently, she shared about how God moved in and through that grief. She wanted to give up, but instead she found out that God was big enough and desired her to be real with him instead of trying to put on this Christian ease that we have a tendency to do. So, take a look at this video real quick. Something I want to say that I don't think would actually be helpful for people, but I would say to you all, I'm pretty convinced when like tragedy strikes, what's, what our faith is in is revealed. So if our faith is in a God who gives us a comfortable life, and then tragedy strikes, that comes to the surface that, oh, what I wanted or expected or hoped or we don't even understand the motive of faith and oftentimes that's revealed when tragedy strikes. Because you realize, oh man, I had faith in a God, not who I trusted as good, I had faith in a God who would make my life easier and better. And when the tragedy strikes and that doesn't feel like it's true anymore, then I abandon that faith, which I'd actually respond with good, because it wasn't faith in the living, good, kind, ruling, reigning, grieving God who is. Because that's what I found in my grief is that when I'm willing to open my heart to what's actually in there, whether it be anger, grief, specifically at the loss of Randy. God's heart is there too. My brother-in-law made a great comment at one point. He's like, just really early on, he just said, God hates death. Like heaven, there will be no death. He hates it. So when I allow myself to hate it, when I allow myself to hate what he hates, is that I find God there because he hates it too. So if only I'd be willing to open up my heart more often. In fact, I feel kind of funny getting to a place with moments like this to go like, I want to woo people to grieve because what you'll find is more of God's heart because he's grieving about a lot of those things too. He's grieving about what happened to people when they were younger. He's grieving about the trials that we face. He's grieving death. He's grieving loss. He's grieving unfairness. He too hates it. And one day, this is the hope and why I think we can grieve with hope is because it won't always be this way. And one day everything will be made right and I so hope for that, that I'm willing to shout out crazy things to God, like how long, so I can say that, I can say how long will it feel this, how long 
will feel impossible. How long, I, I can shout timing, like how long with anger, I can shout it with whatever's actually inside my heart toward God because I have faith that it won't be for forever. So he's okay with that question. <laughs> Almost feels like a backwards way of trusting God. I thought in order to trust God, you had to like get to a place of like, I trust you. And now I'm realizing the way to trust is the way of honesty. So even if it meant God, I don't see your goodness. God, I'm so angry. It's weird to go back to that, that time. So angry, there's so much anger in me and so much sadness and so much grief that I don't even have words to pray. All I have is like guttural sounds coming out and yelling. Like that's what I had, but that was honest. And so in that moment, that looked more like trust than me pretending to be somewhere else. So the way of trust is the way of honesty. So I just want to say this. Do not lose hope. It's really easy. It's really easy to say, do not lose hope. It's really easy to say it when life is good. When you have money in your bank account. When your marriage is perfect. When your kids are still going to school. It's harder to say when you're going through something. See, without hope, we have no power. This is a biblical battle that every Christian must fight. It's the normal part of normal Christian life. Normal Christians in life uh, is a fight for hope in God. It's the most important battle any of us can fight. Whether you're in the middle of a tragedy or in success even, there are threats against hope in God in both cases. If you're struggling, it is really, really easy to lose faith and to ask God why. And in those moments when, when things are going perfect, it's easy to think that you and I are the reason for that success and not to give God glory and honor and not to put our faith in him, but to put it in ourselves. A pastor years ago told me that humility is not just making yourself lower or smaller than others, but humility is recognizing who you are in comparison to God. We are made to be in his presence. The battle you are facing right now is a normal battle for the believer. Do not give up. Remember what hope means. And I think we get this wrong sometimes. Hope, from a worldly perspective, is, has a certain level of uncertainty. Hope means I don't know what's going to happen, but I know really what I want to happen. This, however, is not the biblical perspective of hope, in my opinion. When the Bible says hope in God, he does not mean cross your fingers that it might happen. John Piper put it this way. He said, hope is a confident expectation and desire for good that is coming in the future. We have confidence that it is going to happen. We believe it is possible. Even in the midst of dark times, we cling to this hope and know that we can continue to move forward. Hebrews chapter 12 is, is basically an entire chapter on hope. 11 is faith, hope, uh, 12 is hope, 13 is love. Three virtues that we all need. 
starting in verse 1 of chapter 12, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Worship team can come up if they want to. But this passage, therefore, whenever you see therefore, you always have to look back, right? Therefore, chapter 11 is about faith. It's the superheroes of, of Scripture, right? It's, it's, if you haven't read it, it's amazing. There's like 18 specific people and then a whole slew of others that are unnamed who have gone through the same things that we are going through, who are struggling, who have been tempted, and who have endured. And I believe that passage goes on and talks, is referring to those who have gone beyond Scripture. Those who are living a life right now or, or have lived a life that are not listed name by name but have endured faithfully. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. When I read that, I think of, I get this image of a stadium, like a sports arena. And I see all these amazing people who have played the game and have been successful and now they're cheering us on. We are on the field and they're surrounding us and they're watching and they're encouraging. You're not alone. Whatever you're going through, you are not alone. You have a great cloud of witnesses that you can pull from that are surrounding you, that are encouraging you through it. That know the depths of your pain and suffering. That know every aspect of what you're going through. Even in this room, you may be suffering or, or being tempted by something day in and day out. But there are people in this room that you can go to, that you can ask for, for help who have gone through the same struggles. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be that for one another. You have hope. Stop listening to the lies that say that you are alone in this. Stop listening to the lies that are saying that you have to go through this on your own and you have to figure this out and you have to stumble and you have to be tempted by everything around you. God is in control and he has provided everything that you need. Just be real. When we hide it, we're not really hiding it from God. He knows what we're going through. And I'll tell you the truth, the people around you probably know too. We can pick up on it pretty easily. We're just waiting for you to be real, for you to understand and to see what you're going through so that the healing can begin. You're not alone. God loves you. And I'm going to encourage you, whether it's easy or difficult, moving forward, finish this year off well. Be honest. Be real. 
with your struggles. Be real with whatever that battle is, whether it's to your neighbor or just to God. Don't hold it in anymore. God loves you so much more than you could ever think or imagine. He doesn't want you walking around carrying this baggage around, tearing you down. You don't need to. I'm going to pray here and if you have stuff that you need to deal with, if there are things that are weighing you down, New Year off right. Filled with hope and joy. Be real. Lord God, we love you. And we thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for the, the difficult moments because they bring us closer to you when we even let them. We thank you that you are such a good God, a big God, that you can handle whatever junk we're throwing at you. We have hope. We have eternal hope in you. We should be celebrating that, God. Regardless of the battles we're 